week. Just saying, just saying. So, man, excited to be here today. Today's a good day, and um, man, it's just been a, a huge day. Been looking forward to as a church for quite a while, and um, we're just excited for all that God's doing in this church and excited for who he is and what he's given us and uh, the life that he has. You know, as a church, if you're a guest today, um, you know, our, our mission statement, our heart is what we um, teach, what we believe, what we want to live in is heaven now, heaven forever. That Jesus has promised us this abundant life. And today is the day that we celebrate that. Today is the day that we celebrate this, the, the possibility, the, the potential of us entering into this God life that he has for us, this abundant life that he has for us. And uh, man, today there is, no, there is no throwaway Sunday, but today's a big day for us, right? Today's a big day for us that, that love Jesus and that live in him um, because this is the day that gives us hope and reason for life. Amen? All right, so with that, we're going to take some time to jump into the Word. Chris, I don't know if I can take this down or not, or if I'm going to get electrocuted if I do. Okay, good, that, nothing happened. Though that would have been great for your entertainment value, right, if something did. That would have been a great YouTube video at my expense. All right, well, uh, so today we're going to be taking some time. We're going to walk through... Uh, all the Gospels. How does it sound to you? All right. So we're going to walk through all the Gospel accounts today of the crucifixion. And uh, so you're going to be here for a while. So hopefully your ham is going to be okay. All right. Um, but we're going to take some time to walk through that. And uh, it's just fun. Uh, as I was even getting ready for this sermon and uh, just thinking through, I'm awful at coming up with titles. Absolutely awful at coming up with titles for my sermons. It was something that I just felt, uh, Jenna's laughing because she's always asking for them. And I'm just like, I don't know, you want to make it up for me? <laughs> so, but uh, I'm awful at it. Something I used to doubt myself in. And I just said, you know what, I'm just, it's just not a gift that God's given me, right? Um, but as I was thinking through what should I title this, what should, what should this be about, as I knew where we were going and all that, uh, in the direction that we were going to take, um, I was just playing through different things, and uh, this week I had an incredible moment happen. We were over at some friend's house, and we were having dinner um, with them, and uh, they've, they've got um, two, two older boys and then a little baby girl, and, and then uh, we had my two kids there, Braden and Rylan, and they were uh, hanging out, playing, having a blast. The kids were just having so much fun, and uh, then it gets to that point where my kids started feeling comfortable being in this house that they've never been in, right? And as a parent, you know, that's the moment you started getting worried, right? When you start hearing silence and you start hearing, you're just like, where are my kids at? What are they getting into? I fear that they're comfortable and they're doing something they shouldn't, right? And so that thought kind of passed through my head. And as that thought passed through my head, all of a sudden we just heard, <laughs> we were like, oh, man. And uh, the person we were with, um, it was uh, actually... Vanessa's sister, Tanya, she goes, oh, they got into the Legos. And we were just like, cool, great. So then we go on, and all of a sudden, we just hear utter silence. No more Legos, right? I mean, it's just absolute silence. And then Christoph, who's the pastor at Christian Life Center, he goes, he goes, was that the Skittles? And I went, what are you talking about? Was that the Skittles? So apparently, they have this giant thing of Skittles upstairs, right? This giant, like, candy machine is just full of Skittles, Right? So what happened was, is my five-year-old daughter, all right, she's walking around and she's getting comfortable and she looks up on this bookshelf and she sees a giant thing of Skittles, right? And what else does she think other than, I want that, right? <laughs> right? She doesn't think through, how do I get it? She didn't think through, is this going to be, you know, I'm, I'm this tall and it's way up here. She climbs the bookshelf and she just picks it up, right? And then the Skittles just go everywhere. And so it just gets quiet because what are the kids doing? They're cleaning, right? <laughs> Right? 
they're cleaning the Skittles up, right? So Christoph goes up the stairs, he goes, was that the Skittles? And his oldest son comes out, Asa goes, yeah, yeah, it was the Skittles. And Christoph's like, are you cleaning up? He's like, yeah, we're cleaning it up. Are you, are you eating them or are you cleaning up? Yeah, we're cleaning them up <laughs> and eating them. <laughs> And so I just thought about that moment and just, you know, for, you know, it just, and for her, it was just this, like, I want that, that was it, right? And so we felt bad. We were trying to, you know, it was all, Skittles were embedded in the carpet and we were trying to get, we were just getting ready to leave. It was at that moment, you know, and so Michelle's like, let me help you clean up. And we just felt awful. And uh, Tanya's like, no, you don't need to, don't worry about it. And we're like, no, we've got to, but man, that's a mess. So we're going to go, you know? <laughs> and so like, so it's just this, it's just this moment. We feel so bad. So the Christoph, if, if you've ever met Christoph, and, and hopefully one day you will, but, uh, you know, he was texting me and just harassing me and trying to make me feel as bad as I could for the moment, you know. And, um, and so I was just like, dude, Mich Michelle feels so bad. And he's like, dude, don't worry about it. She's five. What else was she going to do, right? I mean, that was, that was heaven right there for her. And I was like, it's so true. And that's when I just thought about it, just thinking about this message is, is that when we look at Jesus and we look at the gospel, we have these wants. And, we, and, and the gospel reveals our truest wants and our truest desires, right? And in those moments... It's when Jesus reveals his purposes, right? And so today, that's what we're going to be talking about is our wants, his purposes. And that's what we're going to be walking through today. And so as we take some time to look through this, what we're going to actually be doing is, is we're going to just be looking through um, just really the, the crucifixion of Christ and, and, and the statements that were made to him as he was on the cross, and so that's where we're going to start today and kind of work through these statements and just show um, show us where the people were at the moment of his crucifixion. But I believe if we change the names and if we change the situations, that we'll see that it's just as much of a story about us as a story about them. And the statements are revealing and they're profound. And it might today reveal to you where your heart is as you hear the truth of Jesus and you look at your life in Jesus and you maybe you see separation or maybe you see um, anxiety or maybe you just see complete dis disdain. Maybe you look at it and you see questions, or maybe you look at it and you see this true life. And I believe you're going to find somewhere where you are at each one of those today. And I just pray, my prayer has been that, that as we go through this, that truly you will see where you're at and you'll see who Jesus is, who he really is, and that you'll see the life that's offered through him. I was talking to a server last night. I work at Second Street Bistro here in Williamsburg, and I was talking to a server last night and, and talking about today because most of them know I'm a pastor. And, um, and so she was like, yeah, you got a big day tomorrow. And I was like, we do. And I was like, I was like, hey, you're not working tomorrow, so why don't you come to church, you know? And she's like, and I know she's always been kind of pushed off about it. And, um, but she's like, no. And I loved it because it was just awesome. She's like, she's like, no, religion's not for me. It's pretty corrupt. Right? She didn't even try to like hide it, you know, just whatever else. She's like, you're a pastor, so you're corrupt, right? And, uh, and so she just said that in the moment. And I was just like, I said, you know, I said, um, I said, I hear what you're saying. And unfortunately, it's probably been proven true in your life more than not. And I'd have to agree with you on some level. But I believe that following Jesus is not about rules and it's not about what man can do for God, but it's about what God's done for us. And so I want you to hear that today. I want you to see that today that it's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ that we celebrate. And so as we walk through this and we look at these moments, may, may our eyes become open to him and who he is. And so this is the moment. So we're going to be starting at the moment where he was being crucified, where he was being 
fastened to the cross and hung on the cross. And so this is a huge moment. So we've, we've already gone through the moment. We went through, you know, last week we talked about and referenced last week his triumphant entry into Jerusalem and, and all that happened there. And, and after that, there was a trial and, and he was falsely accused of things. And, and then after that, he became uh, betrayed and, and denied and, and all of these things started taking place. And then he went through this brutal beating and he's been humiliated, he's been punished, he's been, he's been just gone through the worst of torment that could possibly be imagined. And then we find ourselves in this moment where he's now being fastened to a cross. Naked, beaten, in absolute agony, embarrassment. He's been abused, he's been ridiculed, he's been harassed. He's been everything that you could imagine and he's there being fastened to the cross. And the cross is being hoisted up into the air, and it's at this moment, as Jesus is hanging between two thieves, beaten and abused, that Jesus calls out to his Father. And it's in this moment that we see our first point, and we see that our want is temporal, and his purpose is forgiveness. Our want is temporal, and his purpose is forgiveness. In Luke 23, verse 34, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And it's at this moment that Jesus is being hung to a cross. He's being nailed. Nails are being driven through the palms of his hands. He's been beaten beyond recognition. He's humiliated. He's being ridiculed. And at that moment, in absolute pain and agony, knowing the hours away from death, knowing what's getting ready to happen in his relationship with God and all that's getting ready to be placed onto his shoulders, in that moment, he prays for those that are murdering him. He prays for those that have abused him. This is a powerful moment because when we look at our lives and as we go through and we look at the statements that these individuals make that were there at this moment, we see that their statements reveal that they were thinking about the things of this world. They were thinking about their feelings. They were thinking about the things that they wanted. They were thinking about how things affected them and what they could gain in this world. Jesus hanging on the cross is thinking of them as well. And he's not thinking of himself. He doesn't pray out for his own salvation. He doesn't pray out for his, his relief. He doesn't pray out for him to be freed from the situation. He doesn't pray for forgiveness for himself because there's no need for him to do that. He prays for the forgiveness of others. And this is a huge moment because it, one, shows us the life and the way that God has set up for us to live and how he modeled through Christ the life that we're supposed to have. That it's one that it's one of self-sacrifice. It's one that says, I'm gonna do whatever God's called me to do because I'm not living for the things of this world, but I'm living for his purposes. And that's what he modeled for us and that's what he showed for us. This is huge because in this time, this is the first time that any faith and any religion has anybody ever taught to pray for your enemies. Nobody ever heard of that. Nobody had ever seen that modeled, let alone had anybody ever been challenged to live that way. So Jesus is modeling what he had teach to put others before yourself, that if you want to be first in the kingdom, that you must be last. He lived a life of submission and sacrifice and continually showed that in everything that he did. And even in the moment of death and his worst pain and his worst agony in the moment when he could have very easily been relieved from that in a second, he chose to stay in the moment and again show us the life that he wants us to live, thus making a way for us to live that way. 
So in this moment, we look at it and we see that here in this moment that Jesus reveals the compassion of his heart. He reveals the compassion of his heart. In Acts chapter 3, verse 17, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, it talks about those that they did this in ignorance. Those that crucified him, they did it in ignorance. They didn't know what they were doing because of their unbelief and because of the situation and their emotions. They didn't realize all that they were doing and what was really taking place. And out of their ignorance, they were murdering him. Jesus recognized that and he speaks into that moment and he says, I want you to know that you can be forgiven. That I'm praying for your forgiveness and I'm interceding for your forgiveness. And so we see in this moment that not only is Jesus modeling the life that he wants us to live, but that Jesus is opening up the doors to the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying all can be forgiven. It doesn't matter how far you are from God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how grievous your sins are. It doesn't matter how bad it is. These are the people that were beating him and nailing him to the cross. Right there in that moment, Jesus says, you can be forgiven. So it shows us that Jesus, in that moment, his purpose was to give forgiveness. And as we look at that moment and jump into that and keep that in the back of our minds, we'll begin to see this played out in each individual's life and what that meant for them and what it did for them in the moment. So the second thing that we need to see tonight is, is that our want, or this morning, our want is vindication and his purpose is justice. Good. Our want is vindication, but his purpose is justice. See, Jesus, when he was nailed on the cross, he didn't get up there just so that he could prove something. He got up there because something was required. Something that was required that none of us could give and none of us could ever, ever accomplish on our own. See, at this point, for thousands of years now, man had tried everything. They tried everything. They lived in the Levitical law. They, the Jews have been submitting to all these laws and these rules and these commands that God has. They've gone to far ends, have done all kinds of other mystic religions and all these other different types of things, and they could never get in a right relationship with God. And it was at that moment that Jesus came and did what needed to be done because justice was required. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 39, you could also see this in Mark chapter 15, but in Matthew 27, 39, it says, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then... If you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. So the people, as they see him hanging up on the cross, they're looking at this situation and they're seeing Jesus hanging on the cross and they're seeing all that is taking place and their emotions have been riled up by the Jewish leaders and, and they're standing there in this emotional moment, in this conflicting moment. They're seeing a guy who performed so many miracles and all these things that have taken place now hanging on a cross. And they're looking at it, and they're looking at themselves, and they're saying, what is this? If he was supposed to be the Messiah, something else was supposed to happen. He wasn't supposed to be hanging on a cross, but the Romans are supposed to be getting slayed right now, right? And, it, and all this kingdom is supposed to look different, and the Jews are supposed to be on top, and we're supposed to be celebrating and just like living this big life. But if he's the Messiah, and now he's hanging on the cross, and this doesn't make sense to me. And he's up there, and he's telling me to do something I've never heard anybody tell me to do. He's living this self-sacrificing, self-giving life, even in the moment of death. What is this about? And it begins to conflict in them, and it begins to cause confusion. And, and they look at him, and they say, hey, if you could come down off the cross, I'll believe in you. 
Hey, if you can come down off that cross right now, if, if you could do something huge, if you could show that I'm okay, hey, you know what? I, you know, most of these people in this moment, they were Jews. They were the people that had, at many moments, obviously, had heard Jesus speak and heard him teach. They were the ones that had, had the opportunity to see him in action and do the things that he had done. And they're standing there and they're looking at it and they're saying, man, there's got to be some way. There's got to be something that's going on here. And, and, and I, gotta, I, I, I can't live that life. I can't live that way. I can't do those types of things. I don't want that because where I'm at right now is good and I'm a Jew and, and God's supposed to love me and supposed to make everything right and beautiful and perfect. And he's asking something of me that I just don't know if I can do that. So that can't be the way. But if he comes down off the cross and he does something miraculous and does something right here and just does some big flashy like, ha, ah, moment, right? That's going to be awesome. I can believe in that. But this, I don't know if I can believe in that. Then the Pharisees and the scribes, we see in Matthew 27, verse 42. And in Mark chapter 15, we see this as well. And it, distingu it distinguishes him as the leading priest. They say to him, he said, you saved others, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For, I, for, for he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. So the priests and the leaders, they're standing there and they're saying the same things. And they're speaking to Jesus and they're saying, hey, listen... You, you said you're the son of God. You said that you're living for God. You said that you're his. If you really are, then come down from the cross. We'll believe in you. We'll step away. We'll believe in you. We'll show you. We'll, we'll say, okay, hey, we'll follow you. We'll submit, we'll submit to you, and we'll live out this life that you want us to live if you can come down off the cross now. But the truth of the matter is that the religious leaders at this time, so filled with hate and so filled with malice, that even Jesus would have come down off the cross, they still wouldn't have believed him. Because see, Jesus, up to this moment in the life that he lived, the ministry that he had had, he had given ample, more than sufficient evidence that he was the Messiah. Even in this moment, as the, the priests are saying these things, they're fulfilling the prophecies of Scripture. In Psalm chapter 22, you see the very words that they're speaking being spoken. It's a prophecy that they themselves knew, they understood, they quoted. They had the Psalms memorized and could say it at any moment. And at that moment, they're sitting there speaking and fulfilling the prophecy that God had predicted thousands of years before. And they can't see it. They can't understand it. They don't see what's really happening and really what's taking place. And what we see here is, is that oftentimes... When men and women step into these moments and they do things in the name of religion, but really it's to justify their own hatred. It's to justify their own feelings of insecurity. It's to justify where they are, that they want to be vindicated that they are good and that they're doing good things, that they want to look right and that they want to be acknowledged. They will do anything in the name of religion that they cannot ever see the truth. That's a powerful thing for us to look at and that's a powerful thing for us to see and to perceive as we're living out our lives and to examine ourselves and say, where am I at? As I hear the gospel and as I hear the truth of this, what does it speak to me? Where does it show where I'm at? Am I somebody who looks at it and says, I don't know if I want that? Am I somebody who then says, you know what? I see what he's saying, but I refuse to believe that because I want to live the life that I want to live. So I'm not even going to see truth no matter how clear it is in front of me. 
And if we go on in Luke chapter, or in Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that happened. And all that happened. And they said, this man was truly the son of God. In Luke chapter 23, verse 39, one of the criminals that was hanging beside him scoffed and he said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Here in this one, in Luke chapter 23, we see that this, again, there's another person saying, hey, listen, prove it to us. Show us who you are. Show us what's taking place. Like if you really are Jesus, then prove it. Come down off the cross. Here's another person here in this situation, obviously guilty. He's obviously had, he was caught in an action that was justifiable of him being hanged on the cross. And that was true, and he knew that to be true, and he's sitting there in that moment, and he's looking at him saying, prove it, come down off the cross. And we see here in this person's life that he was unwilling to recognize his sin, and he was unwilling to recognize that there was a price that had to be paid. And really, that's the truth of where we get in this moment. And we begin to see some truths that were revealed in these statements. The first one we'll see is this, that Jesus had given full and sufficient proof that he was Christ. If he would have come down off the cross, nothing would have convinced them. Because here's what Jesus was doing in this moment. He didn't come to save himself. He didn't come just to make a point. He didn't come to say that God is with you. He didn't just come and say, listen, God is real and he's in your midst and you can look to him and you can follow him if you want to. He didn't do any of this, that he came to save others regardless of himself. He came to save others regardless of himself. He came into the moment saying, listen, you want to be justified where you are. You want to be vindicated in the life that you're living. You want to be shown that you're good enough, that all that you've done and all the things that have taken place, that they mean something. You want to know and you want to show that you are recognized and that you are a good person and that you're going to get all these things at no cost to you. That's what you want. If it's a man hanging on a cross, knowing that he committed sins, knowing that he had done something wrong and being punished for that, saying, listen, come down off the cross. Like he's saying, I don't think that I have to face a consequence for the life that I've lived. The priests are saying the same thing. Listen, I am right. I know what is right. I know what is good. I'm the example of what's good, not you. You're living contrary to what I've said. You're hanging on the cross because of what I've done. They're looking at themselves. And the reality is, is that we begin to look at this, that Jesus came into this moment to save us regardless of himself. Then he came into this moment knowing the truth that there is a price that must be paid. See, his purpose was justice. People ask all the time, whenever you're having conversations with people that are not followers of Christ, and, and this is the question I get most of the time, you know, when I'm talking to people at work or different places, they're like, why did God have to die? I mean, why did that have to happen? Could he not just hit reset on the whole thing and just be like, you know what? All right, hey, you all made some mistakes. You did some bad stuff. You know what? You're all forgiven. Bam. You know, that was easy, right? Let's just all start back at the beginning. Could he not just do that? And the answer is no, he could not do that. Because God is a just God. He's a just God. He is a fair God, and he's a God that requires holiness and righteousness. See, in the beginning of time, God created man so that we could be in relationship with him, live a life in worship to him. And we chose a life outside of what he planned. We chose a life outside of what he purposed for us. And as that result, we then became separated from God. 
And the price had to be paid. God had established and said that if you sin against me, that if you walk away from me, that if you turn from me, that that the requirement, the punishment is death. See, God, from the very beginning of time, his purpose has been life. His purpose has been that we can know life and that we can know him who is life and live in him. That's been his purpose from the beginning. And we stepped outside of that. We rejected that and we stepped into death. So God is just. He can't say one thing in one moment and then change his mind in the next moment. When God says what's required is death, what's required is death. And so we see in this moment something huge and profound. We see God coming down and taking on this humble form and becoming one of us and bearing what we should bear. He, in this moment, is not taking on some idea of something. He's not stepping into this moment saying, you know what, I guess i got to do this. But he's taking this moment on willingly. He's taking on this moment voluntarily. He's saying, I'm stepping into this moment because justice is required, and I've lived a life, and I have the life that can pay the price. You want to be recognized where you are. You want to be vindicated in the life that you're living. You want to be okay with where you are. But justice is required for you to be in relationship with God. And that justice was paid by Jesus Christ. Here's one of the most amazing things as you look at this is each one of these people are making these comments. That each one of them, every single moment as we watch the sufferings of Christ as recorded in the three gospels here that we have. As we walk through each one of those moments of suffering, we see minute by minute prophecies from the prophets and from Psalms being fulfilled. Minute by minute, we see these things happening. We see these taking place. And in that moment, in all of these things that are happening, Jesus is saying, I'm doing what has to be done. I'm fulfilling all that God wants to have happen so that you can have life. And all that men mean for our God's harm, all that men, men said for, God's ridic- for, the ridicul- uh, for ridiculing Jesus all the things, even the sign they put above his head, what they meant to be harm from him was actually turned to be truth and a proclamation of who he was. They meant to ridicule him by putting a sign above his head and mocking him. Oh, look, the king of Jews, but who is he? He's the king of Jews and he's the king of all men. They're sitting there saying, come on, you can't come off the cross, right? Think about where they are in this moment. They're sitting there, they're looking at Jesus who they've seen heal people. They've seen dead people come to life. They've seen him turn bread and fish from a small amount into feeding thousands with leftovers. They've seen these things. They've seen him calm storms with the, just the mere sound of his voice. They've seen all these things happening, and they're looking at the situation with Jesus seemingly hanging helplessly, helplessly on the cross. They're looking at this, and it's confusing, and it doesn't make sense So either has to be one thing is true or the other. Either all of his miracles that he performed are false and they're not true and they never happened. Or he is the son of God and he can prove it by coming down off the cross. So they're looking at this moment. They're like, prove it to us. Show it to us. Show us in this moment right now what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my head. Prove it to me right now. And Jesus saying, justice is required. In this moment, I'm not looking just to vindicate you in this moment. I'm not just going to come off the cross to prove to you something temporarily because the truth is that's not even going to convince you anyways. 
Man, my purpose is so much bigger than that. My purpose is justice. My purpose is something that is profound and beyond anything that you can imagine. His purpose was justice, and the price he had to pay was dying on the cross. He had to bear away our sins, our griefs, our sorrows, our diseases, our transgressions. He had to willingly take them on and bear them. In Isaiah Isaiah chapter 53, we see all of these things being prophesied of the one that was to come, of the Messiah that was to come. What he had to do was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, and you see all of these things happening. So before we move to the next one here real quick, just one interesting thought is as you go through and you look, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see all the sufferings of Jesus. You see them talk about the things that were said to him, the, the abuses that were heralded to him, all of the chide comments that were made. You see all these things. But in John, he doesn't record these things. In John, what's recorded is the glory of the cross. In John chapter 8, verse 28, it says, Jesus says this, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you understand that I am he. In John chapter 12, verse 32, he says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Listen, the third point is this, is that our want is recognition, but his purpose is salvation. Our want is recognition, but his purpose is salvation. In that moment, what they're wanting to be is they're wanting to be vindicated. They're wanting to be recognized. Hey, you're my child. You're, you're, you know what? You are a Jew. You're good. So I'm going to come off this cross and I'm going to make everything right. That's what the people wanted in that moment, but that's not what they got because that's not what they really needed. The priest, they were looking at Jesus and they were looking at the moment and they're saying, hey, come down off the cross so that you can prove that you were God but by him staying on the cross, they were saying it's proven that you're not God. So they're, they're looking for this vindication. They're looking for this recognition. But what Jesus is saying, no, I'm here to offer salvation. And we see this in an amazing comparison. If you look, Luke chapter 23, verse 30, 42. Criminal hanging on the cross. says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. How odd is it and how beautiful is it that in this moment, Jesus hanging on the cross, all that's taking place in this moment, his disciples are gone, most of them scattered, denying him, looking away, the ones that are still there, not even saying a word, just sitting there maybe in disbelief or confusion. All the Roman soldiers are ridiculing him. All of this is taking place. The priest who knew the scriptures and knew all the things that were being pointed to, minute by minute, things that they knew to be true in scriptures were being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. They were fulfilling them in the things that they were saying. All of this is happening. And the only person that believes in Jesus in the moment is the man hanging on the cross next to him. It's the only person that believes in Jesus in the moment. Jesus came to offer salvation to us. Salvation was bought with a price. See, we look at all these other people, we look at these situations and all the things that took place. The thing that keeps us separated from God is not sin itself. What keeps us separated from God is the ignorance of sin. It's the ignorance of sin. It's our unwillingness to admit that we're sinful. It's our unwillingness to admit that we need a Savior. 
It's our unwillingness and our unbelief to admit that God has made a way for us to be right with him. See, we can walk in ignorance and unbelief, but the moment that it's revealed to us and the moment that it's shown to us that we are not right and that there's something deeply wrong with us, that we're completely deprived, that we're completely unable to do anything for God, in that moment, when we see the truth of Jesus, we see him and we recognize him to be the one true God who came to offer salvation. It's self-complacency that keeps us from God. It's it's self-righteousness that keeps us separated from God, right? It's those things that keep us separated from him. It's those things that make us say, you know what? I don't need you. We're self-sufficient. I don't need you. I don't need you to do anything for me. I've never needed you to do anything for me. I'm good. I can do things on my own. Self-righteous. You know what? Hey, I've made it happen. I can do anything that I need to do. I'm complacent. I'm good. Don't worry about it. My life is fine. But in this moment... This man's hanging on the cross, and he looks at his life, and he looks at Jesus, who has proclaimed himself to be God, and everyone here even mockingly saying, you are God. He looks at him, and he sees this man hanging on a cross, not up there praying for his own benefit, not up there praying for his own situation, but praying for others. He sees this man taking these ridicules and taking these abuses, and his focus is completely on God. That he's taking these things with compassion and he's taking these things with generosity and he's living this life out in front of this man and he says, that right there, that, that is righteous. And I need you. So he looks at his own life and he sees the depravity of who he is and he sees the depth of sin in his own life and he sees the goodness and the abundance of who God is. He sees life and he sees generosity and he sees all that is God and all that is true in Jesus right there in front of him and he says, I have to give my life to you. Will you remember me? And as all these things happen, as, as these things take place, we go on to... Romans, or in, uh, we go on to Luke chapter 23, verse 47. It says, when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. The Roman soldier now is somebody who begins to recognize. The two people are the most unlikely people to recognize God, that hear God speaking. The two people that no one would think would turn to God are the very ones who turned to God first. Because they see the truth of who Jesus is in the moment. And their depravity and all the things that are taking place, they're willing to step back, look at the situations and say, whoa, he truly is God. I mean, come on, think about it. The earth had just shooken, right? The entire, is that a word, shooken? Is that a word? Can I make it a word? All right, good. So it's a city life word. So he, so I mean, the earth, The earth had just shaken. The entire entire atmosphere had just went dark. A Roman astronomer at the time of Jesus' death, I don't even know how to say his name, but it starts with a P-L if you want to look it up. It's P-L-E-T-H-O. A Roman astronomer at the time, he writes of that day. He says it was so darkened in an instant that the stars were revealed. Listen, this wasn't just a solar eclipse that just happened. 
Because you actually look at the calendar and all the things that we do know to be true, that because of the moon and the alignment, there was, it's impossible for a solar eclipse to have just happened. But even if it did, it just happened at that moment. It's pretty miraculous, is it not? But it wasn't a solar eclipse. The very earth, the atmosphere, the sky, God was speaking through all things and showing the darkness of sin, showing how depraved and how dark this world was. And in that miraculous moment, as the stars were being revealed at the noon hour, people were still willing to say, he's not God. Prove it. But the people that recognized who they were, they recognized how empty they were. They recognized how far they were from God. Those people looked upon Jesus with a completely different attitude, with a completely different perception. They looked and they said, wow, what I've been wanting, what I've been looking for, is not what I can accomplish in this life. It's not what I can be offered in this world. It's not the promotions that I can get. It's not the recognition that I can get from family, friends, and others. It's not promotions. It's not any of these things. What my want truly is, is the man that's hanging on that cross. What my want truly is, is the life that can happen through him. The Roman officer, he's saying these things, not just because he's just like, oh, wow, all of a sudden, the moment. he's heard the Jewish people for a while now talk about who Jesus was. He's heard them talk about the Messiah. All of these things are in his head, and all of a sudden, in a moment, it makes sense to him. And he says, this is true. This is true. This man is truly righteous. This man is the Son of God. And we see that Jesus offers salvation, and he makes it possible. Our, free, our want is freedom, but his purpose is eternal. And the worship team can come up. His purpose is eternal. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. This passage right here shows us the truth That one day this body will die. But there's a part of us that is immortal. Jesus shows in this moment his authority. If you look at the words here, it says Jesus shouted. Now you think about this. All of the, all of the beatings, all of the things that Jesus had just gone through. He's now been hanging on the cross for hours, completely asphyxiated, can't breathe without shoving himself up on the cross and driving splinters further into his already beaten back. Everyone look at that moment and say, hey, I understand that you could be fatigued. I understand that you could be exhausted. You're on the brink of death. But Jesus in that moment, powerfully and prophetically shows that he's in control of every moment. He doesn't just whimper, he shouts. He shouts out to the Lord and he shows his authority. He shows that he's in control of all things, that no man took his life. Exhaustion didn't take his life. The spear that was thrusted into his side did not take his life, that he gave his life. 
Because the price that is paid is one that is a perfect life. It's a self-sacrificing life. It's one that says, I've willingly and voluntarily given myself up and I've borne all of the sins, all of the shame, everything. Not for my benefit, but for the benefit of others. That's true self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is not that we do something in hopes that we'll get something from it. Self-sacrifice is, is that we give up everything that we hold dear for a greater good, for someone else's benefit. In that moment, Jesus takes control and he shows his authority and he speaks and he says, now it is finished. This morning, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I don't know where it is taking place in your life. But I can tell you this, there's been moments in my life where I can see myself being played out in each one of these categories. I can see moments where I was self-righteous and, and just as the scribes and the priests that I rejected the things of God, I rejected the life that he called me to live and that Jesus modeled. I can see moments where I've said, no, I don't want to live that out because I'm good. I'm fine, I don't need you. I can see moments where I was just completely complacent. I didn't care about what was going on in my life. I didn't care about where I was or what was gonna happen. I had no idea of some future life, no consequence of sin, just complacent, just good. I can see moments in my life where I was completely consumed with myself, caught up in the emotions of the situation, walking in confusion and walking in frustration and walking in anger, saying things that I didn't mean and living this life that made no sense. But I can tell you this, there was a moment, a very distinct moment where Jesus stepped into my life and he said, that's all finished. I bore all the things that caused all of that conflict. And he stepped into my life and he said, here is true life. Here's this abundant life. Let me show you how to live a life free of burden, free of worry. Let me show you how to live a life free and full of joy and peace. The longer I live, sometimes it feels like the more complicated my life gets. Honestly, when I look at some of my situations in my life, it's like it hasn't gotten better. But you know what? I found more joy in all of the situations that I have. I find that I love living this life more and more every day as I live it out for God. I found this true and abundant life and it doesn't mean that I found things. It doesn't mean that I found recognition. It doesn't mean that I've been noticed or done anything by anybody else. But it means that God recognized me. He knew where I was at and said, I don't want you to be there. I want you to be with me. I want you to know life and I want you to know this life that you can have in me and to live with purpose not to live with wants and desires for the things of this world, but to live with purpose, an eternal purpose, because you have an eternal soul. And there's a consequence for your sins. And those sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter five, verse six, it says this, it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Just at the right time. 
Today you're sitting here in this auditorium and maybe you've been a follower of Christ for some time or maybe you've attended church for some time. Don't just look at Jesus and say, okay, I see him, I recognize him. No matter where you are today, if you've been going to church for a long time, you've been a deacon at a church before, you've been a leader at a church before, you've been a pastor at a church before, don't just look up there at Jesus and say, yeah, I see him and I see what he's doing. I see what he did for me, but it doesn't affect me. It doesn't cause me to respond. Look at deep down inside yourself and look how deep the need is. And look all that Jesus did and that he came into that moment. And he said, listen, my purpose is forgiveness and I've secured forgiveness and I've secured eternal life and I've secured for you to live the life that I have for you. Submit to that. Today, if you have never known Jesus, you've never walked with Him, you've never lived your life for Him, in this moment, God has arranged for you to be here to see that He loves you, that the time is now that He is speaking to you. Don't ignore all of the signs and all of the wonders. Don't ignore all the things and say, oh, that's just happening. That doesn't prove anything. Look at all that's taking place and say, God is speaking to me. God is aware of me, that he doesn't care, that I shouldn't care about the recognition of this world, but that I should recognize that God sees me and that he is giving me life and that he's done for me what I could not do for myself. Jesus suffered all things for us, but he didn't just suffer them for suffering's sake. He suffered them for the glory of God so that we can walk in the life that he has for us. So today, in just a moment, we're going to take a second and we're going to sing, just recognize who God is in the life that he's offered through Jesus Christ. And I want us to reflect on Romans chapter 4, verse 25, that he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what he is offering today, that we be made right with him. Let not our fear, our worry, our self-identity, our self-righteousness keep us from God, but instead may we turn to him and recognize that Jesus has made us right with God. We stand and worship with him.